0: What makes the great great? What makes the successful successful? What makes the brilliant brilliant? Our Tuesday meetups with the celebrities of Pharma industry and science are your one-stop shop to all these answers and more. Join us for Pies of Life, an initiative of the Biopatrika Industry Mentorship Programme where we bring your dream mentors to you.
1: So uh, I'll take 10-15 minutes to share just kind of you know, some lessons in my own journey as an as a explorer. Uh, I, I think I've reached one particular stage in my personal life, in my professional life. Um, for a lot of people, this looks pretty impressive. I am head of innovation, data science and consulting at a large three hundred dollar healthcare company, global healthcare company. I'm, you know, running a nonprofit for education. I'm also on the advisory board of a couple of startups. So generally speaking, I would claim that I've reasonably achieved something that is worth uh, admiring. But in reality, I think when you look back at your life and you spend maybe 10, 15 years in your life, I actually think, and this is true for every successful person, an unsuccessful person, in their life looks like the story of Frodo i hope some of you are lord of the rings fans otherwise i would recommend you to go and watch it so what happens in lord of the rings is this little hobbit uh, called frodo for some for some unknown re- you know peculiar chance of fate encounters this really powerful ring which gives all the power in the world actually frodo wields it and not the other powerful creatures um, not the wizards not the humans not the dwarves not the orcs but Frodo wields it because he doesn't even realize how powerful it is. So then he embarks on a journey which he doesn't know where it's going to go. It's called the Middle Earth by Tolkien. And, and it just, he goes beyond his comfort zone, his small shire. The life takes him wherever it takes him. Along the way, he he actually falls for the power of the ring. The ring is very powerful, but it's also dark. It takes you over. That's the point of the ring. And, and many things happen and, and, and his friends... You know who you know supposed to you know follow him actually carry him and eventually he founds the mount doom destroys it and then he's back to his happy life the reason i wanted to talk about this is that i think everybody at some stage in our life finds this magic ring you know in my case it was you know an undergrad in iit somehow in india if you go to iit you are considered as special and uh, you know i was very early on considered really special and this very soon that magic ring becomes a curse. Uh, and then it takes over. And along the way, you stumble, get lost, and you, you actually lose yourself because that becomes your identity. Now that somebody else's, it could be, you know, a first company that is successful. For somebody else, it could be a research, uh, you, know, uh, you know, a PhD. It could somebody else, it could be a whatever else, right? It's always at some point in your life. And there are many rings in my life that came. Um, you know, I, I built a company very successfully, you know, I did an MBA in an am so that could say many rings came my way this at that time seemed like these all powerful rings that would allow me to rule the rest of the world. But I will tell you, eventually, every one of them turned out to be a curse um, and took me away from who I wanted to be. And, and, and I, I the reason I say this is because a lot of times, um, in, in our life, we don't value the exploration, the confusion, uh, you know, uh, the depression, the failures as much as we value these magic rings. And I would just be very careful when you find a magic ring next time. So I just thought I'll just put one, one caution that behind all of these titles and so-called successes that people show... There may have been journeys like this in their own life my life was full of many of these journeys in middle earth that ended quite uh, you know in a way that i got rid of those trappings there are seven lessons i wanted to share with you and any of you who don't follow the analogy please watch lord of the rings and read the book as well because it, nobody can do justice to tolkien's brilliance in a few few sentences so there are seven lessons i wanted you to share the first one is something that I turn to for the greatest wisdom in the world, Calvin and Hobbes. And uh, just take like 30 seconds or just read it, because if you have not seen this one, you should read it for sure. I'll give you guys 30 seconds to read it. And then whenever you're done, you tell me and I will talk about it. So this sounds like a silly game that Calvin and Hobbes play, it's called Calvin Ball and and the simple rule of the Calvin Ball is no rule is ever repeated. So you just keep making it up as you go along. So one of the things that you realize in life, uh, you know, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure there are some more wiser than me. Life is a big Calvin ball. You know, you just the rules of the game keep changing. You, you climb a ladder and another ladder starts. You, as you achieve a goal and some new world t- turns up and the goal goes away so in, in and this by the way is not just philosophical but i think one of the things that's happening because of this interconnected world that we live in and the fact that this is so disruptive um, because of all the technology could be societal changes i mean look at the pandemic itself in some ways it's so common these days for all the rules to be thrown out of the out of the door uh, you may have super specialized in a particular area and suddenly you know there is a whole shift because of you know some technology or you know it, it impinges into some other area. So one way to think about it is is that just accept this fact that no rules of the game will remain stable forever. And, and I think not to say that it, you, know, you just play run around you know, randomly, but it just means that do keep score in life. It matters how much money you make, it matters, how many papers you publish, it matters what your title is matters how many homes you own um, or, or whatever, how many people follow you on Twitter or Facebook or whatever. But maybe it doesn't matter also, because when the game changes, the score has no meaning. So the first lesson I would give in my life is that keep score. You know, it's fun to keep score, but remember those, the score has no meaning very soon. Second thing I wanted to share with you is this concept of blue ocean and red ocean. I think in everything in life, whether it's a business, it's a research area, it's a career, it's a place to live, you know, it's what you do on a given day, where you travel for your vacation. Oftentimes, you know, when you follow the crowd, often there are they are what are called red oceans. And everybody is there, the ocean is red because there everybody is biting each other. And how much ever you try, you're just gonna be lost. You're you're just going to get caught up in beating the competition. It's such an illusion to think that you need to compete in life. Um, Very famous book, you know, when you read this called Made in America about Walmart. One of the things that Sam Walton says with great pride is that, if I recollect correctly, the first 10 years of Walmart, or maybe 15 years, or maybe the first couple of hundred stores, they only went to cities and towns where there was no competition.
2: And all the large
1: retailers made fun of them, saying, You come to our city and then we'll show you what you are. And his answer was, I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready yet. I'm going to go to these small towns where nobody else is there. But eventually, when they came, they were like just so ready that nobody would compete with them for their processes. So I think it's a it's a it's a it's a mindset in life to constantly look for white spaces, to look for blue oceans. It doesn't matter what it is, it could be. A conversation you're hiring having you're hiring somebody you're looking for a company you're looking for a topic to research you're looking for a job or you're looking for a friend you're looking for a partner in life look for blue oceans because you know you'll get them wrong there'll be cases where you, you're off but it's, it's a it's, it is something that when you get it right you, you will you will realize that competition becomes irrelevant you create new demand. Uh, and uh, and you completely change the value equation. So I think something to look for. And I think one of the things I thought Naren did very well, you know, while you could, you could argue about, you know, whether every of those ideas worked or not, but I think what people like Naren do really well, I think they look for that blue ocean instinctively all the time in their life, in everything they do. Um, I think that's important. The third life lesson I would ask you to think about is that um, in life, uh, there are multiple levels at which you can interpret and understand what's going on. So you can look at an event and react to it or you can go one level deeper and say, hey, there are some patterns because of these events and I'll anticipate this particular event. Or you can go one level lower and say there's a design because of which these patterns are emerging. Or You can go one level deeper and say there's a mental model of how we believe things will be itself is Probably needs to be transformed. So the very famous example is, if there are fires and you're a fire station chief. You can keep running around putting out the fires. That's reacting to events. You go one level lower and say, okay, fires happen at this time of the day, this time of the year, in this place, and just go and prepare for that. Or you go one level lower and say, look, I'm going to put some water system in place to put out the fires. But you can go one level lower and say, why do fires even happen? You know, can I actually make buildings fire fireproof? Can I make people be safer? This probably applies even for the forest fires as well. So I would say in life, if you make it a habit to go deeper below events, below patterns, below structures, and go to the mental model, which is the fundamental assumption with which people are functioning, making choices, their beliefs, and what they think should or should not happen uh, is, is very, very, very important You know, habit to develop. So I would say it's a, it's a it's a tough life, if you want to operate at a mental model level, but I think it's a really deep life and very, very fulfilling and very, very impactful. The next life lesson I would say is that, particularly for technical people, and I see a few researchers here, I think this aspect that what I know is too complex for you to understand is an excuse. One of the greatest scientists, uh, Richard Feynman, who was a Nobel prize-winning physicist, you know, I admire him, not just for all the cool quantum physics he created, but if you notice he also created something called the Feynman diagrams and the essence of the Feynman diagram is that it is very simple, it's intuitive, but it's also very precise. The complex equation that is showing a quantum interaction at the top can be translated in a very simple picture on the left, which actually gives you a physical sense of what's going on, but it is very precise. He's not trading off simplicity for precision. In fact, I have it on my wall, you'll notice. I always tell people that if somebody says data science is too complex, AI is too complex, you know, biotechnology is too complex, they say, it can't be more complex than quantum physics. It's probably the most complex thing in the world. So I would say you know, being a good storyteller is very important, even if you're a scientist, to influence people and complexity is no excuse to say I'm hard to follow. It's very important. The next thing I would say is that you always have to play to your strengths it doesn't matter what your weaknesses are. You can complement them, you can work on them, you can improve on them. But fundamentally, you have to be self-aware to know what your strengths are and just play to it. So it's like, think of yourself as an actor who's just entering, you know, let's say Mumbai, looking for a, you know, place to act in this whole difficult movie industry. If you're Nawazuddin Siddiqui, you want to look for gangs of Asip. You don't want to go and act in kuch hota hai, kuch, kuch happens, right? You can be a great actor, but you need to know your strengths. You need to know what you are. So you may not know this, but, but but I think experimenting, observing, introspecting, having great mentors and having that clarity of what are you good at and playing your own game, I think is very critical. doesn't matter what you do. Um, you can, of course, complement your weaknesses in so many ways, but fundamentally, you've got to play to your strengths. The sixth learning I, I, I have is I think people waste too much time on time management. It's not possible. Because we all have only 24 hours. We are awake like maybe 18 hours or 12 hours we are working. There's only so much time in the day. There's lots of things going on. I actually think the smarter way to manage life is don't manage your time, manage your energy. I always think of myself as a mobile phone or a battery that is running out. What do you do when you have a battery? We're always looking for a charge point. When it is coming below thirty percent, you start looking for a recharge point. If it falls below ten, you are like gonna stop everything and charge it. You won't just keep talking. If it is eighty percent, you will comfortably use it. If it is reaching forty, you will turn off your let's say I know you will turn off a battery saver or you turn off your you know um, you know mobile connectivity. You are managing your battery life in some ways. I think you should plan your life that way. So this is actually a really busy week for me. I'm actually coming off of vacation. I have annual planning. I have three weeks of travel. But this session for me is charging me because everything before this and everything after this is exhausting. me. So, you know, actually, this is the hardest time for me to do this session because I literally have no time to do this. But this is charging me. So I don't have time for it, but I also don't have energy for it. And that's why I should do this because talking to Narayan, talking to all of you energizes me. So you need to know in life that Look, all of us have people who suck your energy, and all of us have things that give you energy. And you can't just, I mean, it's like a mobile phone that is never used. Of course, we'll never discharge. So a lot of things in life will discharge you. You'll do stuff that you don't like. You, know, you have a job that you don't enjoy. You're stuck on a project that's not working. 80% of the stuff is boring grunt work, You know, and so on, right? So like my, my sister is a cool genetics researcher working on CRISPR. But if you see what she does, like 80% of the time, she's just making sure the culture doesn't die, the cells are alive. She's watching it before you can do the experiment. So if you look at what she's doing, it's back-breaking like, like bullshit stuff. Now, once in a while, they discover, and they move the needle. You know, she's like working with this, you know, really, really cool researchers on CRISPR. But if you really see what she does, like 90% of the time, it's like back-breaking work, just keeping that culture alive, right? So, so that's how life is. So you want to think about in a given day, in a given week in your life, are you charging, discharging, charging, recharging? And then your your schedule is all about finding those charge points because all of us need energy and and there are things that suck our energy away. Last thing is, this is from the famous book, Good to Great. And, And he makes a very interesting argument that for companies and individuals to be great, not good, great, you have to find that sweet spot in life. Now, this diagram is not... Perfect, but I'll explain what's wrong with it. But essentially what he says is, you've got to find this intersection between what you're passionate about, what you can be great at, very, very the best in the world and where you'll make money. Now, I think the size of the circles are, are personal. Like some people may want to run their life only about passion. But what the point is, if you run your life only on passion, you will not be sustainably happy. If you chase only material goals, you won't be happy either. You just try to be the best at something. You'll just be seeking goals, but those are all the goals that matter. Like Frodo. It becomes that cursed magic ring for you. I think if you find how big this circle should be for you, and I think I would really encourage you to think about how much money is enough for you, you know, to stop worrying about it. You know, how, how uh, what, what level of success in a particular area is important for you that you need the world to recognize you. And 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 how much of your channel passion do you want to channel into what you're doing? If you find that sweet spot, that you can truly be great in life, doesn't matter what you what you do, right? It could be anything in life. So I think if, if you think about this, you can m- maybe you make better choices long term. So that's basically what I wanted to share with you. I will stop and open it up for any questions you have. But these are at least my, you know, current seven learnings out of my, you know,
3: you know, uh, stumbling as a hobbit wow amazing amazing let, let let's let's just go right ahead with the questions <laughs> unmute ask raise your hands hi so
4: i think yeah so so you have like uh, summarized uh, all your learnings in like these seven points and uh, i am like discussing every weekend with Narendh that i'm in also like same situation like whether i'm doing the right thing at this point uh, how things will be in future and it becomes like very difficult at times like to see like whatever we are doing at this point will be like something which we want to do or it's something like which we are forced to do so so i think your experience and like the examples or analogy like you have shared it's something yeah It's very helpful in like, uh, like clearing mind and making a like right decision. So, so, but uh, like, uh, what was like you were thinking at the point length when you were like in college or when you joined your like first job? So, so, yeah. What was like thought process at that time?
1: Yeah. So, uh, so when I um. Um, so I'll, I'll phrase my whole journey uh, into three buckets because those buckets are important. Yeah. I think I would say up until maybe I was 30, 35, my singular objective was you know, to win in everything the world considered as cool. So if somebody said like going to IIT is the best thing, you go to IIT. If somebody says you got to get a great point average, to me, that was the goal to chase. Somebody said, you got to, you know, do an MBA here. That was the goal. Somebody said, you got to work in the school consulting firm. That was the goal. Somebody said, if you don't get promoted in a year, you're not like in the top one person. So be it, right? It was like purely goal oriented. I mean, I had yeah. fun. It's not that I didn't have fun at all. I mean, I just, at that time I enjoyed myself. But it was primarily driven by being at the top of the list as it stood at that point of time. I think that that lasted quite a bit. I had quite a bit of success, you know, by any standards. I went to really good schools. I had like really top top paying jobs. I even started a company fairly successful. The problem is that that I ran out of steam eventually. Um, that is one problem, right? By the time I was 30, 32, kind of now, like I'm now chasing somebody else's dream. Second thing is that I attempted my second company around that time right? I built a company successfully. I don't recollect maybe 34, 35. I started building another company and that company dramatically bombed. That was the second phase of my life. Now, everything worked until then before it completely stopped working. That's a problem with when it works, right? And I'll I'll make a general philosophical point about success, right? A lot of times we, we don't appreciate the fact that success is about environment and timing, very little to do with us.
0: Not that we don't
1: matter, of course we matter, we, in our effort matters, our capability matters, but it's a lot to do with timing and uh, environment. So the right environment, the right timing, everything falls in place. You get the environment and timing wrong, doesn't matter how smart you are. So the second phase of my life where I would call it complete disaster, complete denial, and, and this is the toughest phase of my life because up until then I never, never failed to the extent that I felt. And then nothing worked after that for a few years. The company I started, you know, was shut down. I would start going to weddings because I was so embarrassed. And it just now the whole world looks like out to like show how stupid I am. And then now like every choice I made until then, in hindsight, also looks stupid. It was the toughest phase of my life. And then I, one of the nicest decisions I took is I actually decided to reset myself by going to a completely new space with completely young people who are half my age. Uh, And I joined an interesting company called Sigma in the analytics space. It's a point where probably at that point it looked like a really low point but I think probably best point in my life because it allowed me to just set aside all my assumptions, my mental models and then kind of reset myself a little bit. I think that journey allowed me to just step back and and rediscover new strengths, rediscover new mental models, also rediscovered new energy because I was working with young people who weren't struggling with the same midlife crisis that I was struggling with. So in a way, that turned out to be a blessing because everybody around me was like 23 years old, 24 years old, like, you know, would just survive all night on a Red Bull. And here I am like thinking about things that don't seem to matter to them. So just suddenly allowed me to just step back and say, look, it's life is not that bad. You know, just kind of, we can go on and you can do new things. And then I think came the third phase of my life where I, I, I truly introspected on what do I really care about? What do I not care about? What do I really value? Why am I living life? at People like me live life at other people's terms. And what's the point of having whatever capabilities that I have? And I think that's probably the phase that I am in where I am, at least to the best of my abilities, pursuing what I enjoy and 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 feeling no pressure to live somebody else's dream or what somebody else values and then surprisingly working well because I actually am doing a lot more than ever before. Uh, I have a lot more energy and I'm energizing everybody a lot more. I'm actually being, in fact, being more ambitious than I've ever been, but just comes from a good place. So I would just, yes. the only, only argument I would make is that I think this is a struggle that we will all go through. So I think there's no escape from that. Uh, yes, yes. The couple of comments I will just make is that I think the thing I learned a little bit later in my life is that not to be in a hurry. I think when you're younger, you somehow seem to be in a hurry. You seem to think that every year something is going by. So what happens is that when you're younger, you're kind of associated with a band of people, like you're all class 12 you're all engineering one, you're all PhD, you're all post-grad or whatever, right? Those bands just disappeared after some time. And then you're in this amorphous mass of humanity that is there forever, as long as you live. So the time goes away after some time. There is like there is no cohort you belong to. All cohorts disappear. I think when cohorts disappear, what you realize is that there's a lot of time in life. Actually, you don't need to be in a hurry, number one you know, there is no such thing as a peer anymore because everybody's all over and it's multidimensional. The second thing you realize, the third thing you realize is that going back to the Calvin Ball thing I said, actually life resets itself every four, seven years. Markets reset, topics reset. So let's say you're in a really bad technical area that's not going anywhere, no funding, no coolness. Yeah. You can actually wake up today, pick a new topic. In four years, you could be in the hottest happening area. You just need to take a little bit of risk and know where the ball will go. The beauty of all this chaotic change that people think is a problem that is disrupting industries, disrupting careers, disrupting research, actually is an opportunity for you to reset yourself every seven years, five years, four years. So you could literally wake up today and say, I'm going to pick an area in which I'm going to be like like one of the very few people who was dominating that space four years from now three, four years, nothing will happen there. But suddenly you are at the start of something new. I think you'll you realize that after some time that you don't belong to any cohort in life. And then life goes on forever. you have all the time in the world. Uh, and then you have you a lot more opportunities than you think you do. You just have to it's like, you know, that I mentioned that Mumbai actor, right? Somebody comes, never got a chance to be Shah Rukh Khan. But today, anybody can be an actor online, on YouTube, on your yeah, YouTube. TikTok. Suddenly, like, you know, life actually throws you more opportunities. It's a positive view of life. Actually, life creates more and more opportunities. In fact, you have a second more advantage. You have a third more advantage. You have a fourth more advantage. The first more are the ones you get left behind. So that's, I think, I think that's a perspective that I have come to in a little bit. So I've Become more and more enthusiastic, optimistic, and positive about life, and less and less
3: in a hurry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, next question. Hello, sir. Yeah, Chirag, go ahead. Hi, Chirag.
2: Uh, uh, so good, good evening, sir. First of all, I would like to introduce myself. Uh, I'm Chirag Anandir, and I have done my masters in food biotech recently. And uh, I'm just uh, getting to get my first job in Hudson Dairy. Uh, And uh, my question was about the blue ocean thing. Actually, uh, I mean, it's very uh, fascinating. And uh, I mean, people get ideas about, uh, maybe I can say, I don't know that I can say or not, but I can say that I get some new ideas, but I'm not able to... Uh, approach it uh, in a positive way so i can execute it properly i mean uh, when when you get blue ocean ideas then uh, mostly there are no sops uh, we don't know the proper procedure what to follow what what comes next so yeah can you just guide uh, something on that yeah yeah yeah
1: so i want to just make sure you are talking blue ocean and not blue sky because blue sky is something else So I'm talking about blue ocean, which is the opportunity space is unoccupied, right? People have not, you know, crowded it out as yet. Um, I think different people approach this differently. I think, Chirag, it's a style question, but this is a discipline that you'd like. Research is a discipline that you develop. I think ability to experiment and make new ideas real is also a capability that you develop. I think the problem in education, I think we have defined our skills as programming statistics biology engineering we've not defined our skills as empathy we've not defined our skills as storytelling we've not defined our capability as you know making new ideas real uh, and so on right so if you think about that as a capability imagine there's a degree on you know a phd degree on making new ideas real okay that's a, that's a that's a degree that you need to get there are two three ways people approach it and i think different people are different Some people approach it, they're blessed with top-down thinking. So they have a vision, they can pick a goal uh, and they work backwards. Probably Sachin Tendulkar was one of those who very early on said, let's say, I'm going to play cricket for India. And then he works backwards from that. I think there's a very, very rare set of people are, are that way. We only hear those stories, but that is a bias. Very, very small percentage of people are that way, where they can pick something that is blue ocean, say, this is what it's going to be. Like Elon Musk wakes up and says, I want to conquer space. I think you, you hear about it in the news, but that's like, a, there is a certain hype around those personalities. And then the second type of people actually mull over that idea. They research it. They look at it from different lenses. They read, they experience, they, they kind of study it a little bit. That's another approach that some people take, that they study it a little bit and then they kind of make some plans. There are others who don't have that intuition. I'm one of those. I don't have intuition for new things very much, but I I develop my intuition by doing. So like, for example, it's like swimming, right? You can describe swimming. Others jump in the water and realize why the body automatically floats and what you need to do to swim. So I think I belong to the third category. So first of all, Chirag, you have to learn. you're you're, You're younger than I am. So you have to experiment a little bit and figure out what kind of person you are. Uh, But let's say you are in the third category, you have to just experiment a little bit. Can you do a small project on it? Can you try it by yourself? Can you test it somewhere? Can you talk about it in different places? You know, can you experiment with it? Sometimes you get an intuition by doing. So I think all of these methods are applicable, but I think the third is the most reliable. Jump in, try a few things and develop your intuition as you go along. I think at some point you know enough about it uh, to be able to make a more concrete plan of execution you won't have a standard operating procedure and that's the beauty of a blue ocean and and that's but the people who are willing to jump in experiment figure it out as you go along you kind of like jump and build wings along the way are the ones who dominate blue oceans people who expect us sop
2: will never benefit from the blue ocean space
0: Uh, hi. hi, I'm Sudeikha. I'm currently working in uh, Biocon uh, in the bioprocess space uh, right now. Uh, my question to you is based on your last slide with the three circles that you want to be the best in everything, financial and passion. Uh, so when you said I would encourage you all to think about what, how much money would you consider to be enough for free work, in all of the, those three circles, won't that... Uh, so when like, uh, when say I was in college, my perception of that was different. Now it's a little different. 10 years down the line, it's gonna be different again as to what I think, how much money I would need or what exactly my passion would be. So how do you balance that across different phases of your life? So that sweet spot will keep changing, right? So how do you uh, work around that?
1: Yeah, it does change. Uh, but I think there's two things that happen when you think about things explicitly so what happens is that like particularly like material success right people always feel that somebody else is making more money than them there's another industry where somebody is doing really well somebody is having it easy it just always puts you in this and that's true i mean any one of us can always find something else that will make you more money today but what people don't calculate is the is the hidden cost of shifting the loss of relationship the loss of you know, the credibility that you've built, power of staying at some things, it's always a trade-off. I mean, is, you, you, if you optimize for one thing, you can always increase it, right? Like, you, you know, so I could always say, okay, I just want to keep increasing my salary. I will keep increasing my salary, but I will trade off on something else. The first point is that you want to just at every point in your life and that will change. You're absolutely right, Surika. It will change. First thing is that every point in your life, you think about, okay, what is the real, real, amount of money I need to make, how much I need to save for me to be comfortable enough for me to pursue my passion and become very good at what I think I should be very good at. First of all, you got to, the point is to balance those three at every point in your life. The second thing is that you will realize over time as you experiment and try different things, you will arrive at the sweet spot and you'll stay at it very longer and longer. So in the beginning, it looks like you don't know. And I'll give you my own example, right? When i Almost literally, I would say, so I'm like 48 now. So I would say till I'm 42, I was still totally confused about what my sweet spot was. So, and I, I'm, I'm sure I'll be confused in another two years from now, but but I, I'm realizing that my intersection point is staying more stable longer and longer. But you got to think about it. You got to write it down. You got to bounce it off. You got to have friends and mentors to talk about it. You can't just leave it vague. If you leave it vague, it won't be concrete enough. The point is to make it concrete, write it down, bounce it off, You know, debate it with people who care about you and then move with it for some time. See if that sticks. If you're comfortable then that's where you are. If you're uncomfortable then you try and adjust and you're completely off the chart then you revisit. But you've got to do this a little bit explicitly. Otherwise, you're on this constant you know, uh, mental you know, chit chat but something else out there is better for me. You always feel right. I mean, I've seen people in the lab feel they should be working on analytics. People in analytics feel that it's not real. You know, people in some you know research field feel they should be on the commercial side. People in the commercial side feel they should be in you know, a in a university environment. People in the university environment feel that they should actually be in a in a in a in a in another country. People in a developing country feel they wish they were in a developed country. There is always something out there which supposedly is better than what you have it is just going to be so distracting that you won't enjoy where you are so i think that's the point point. and it will change it will absolutely change and it should because you are not going to the same person i mean you know you know five years from now you can't be life is not static neither are you but i think it's the point is just pause and stop stop pondering on what it, what else your life needs to be about and just live it and then revisit it in a systematic manner
0: Thank you. Uh, hello, sir. Uh, so this is uh, Rajeshree. Uh, currently, I'm working with one startup uh, called uh, Immunato AI uh, at uh, CAMP NCBS. Uh, so basically, I have uh, two questions. Uh, in your slides, you mentioned about energy management. So can you please uh, elaborate a little bit on how you manage your energy in your entire day? Yeah. And, uh, and the second thing is like... Uh, It's regarding uh, that uh, uh, your startup named uh, Stablebo and it mentioned
1: something about complement schooling. So, we'd like to hear more about that.
4: Sure,
1: sure. So, what I meant by energy management is that I think you want to just be a little bit aware of what gives you energy and what takes energy from you, right? So, to give an example, I find reviews very de-energizing. I find them extremely de-energizing. Unfortunately, for the role I play as a senior leader running a large organization, reviews are super critical. I cannot live without reviews. And neither should I try to run without reviews because it'd be destructive for my team, for the organization, for my role, as an example. Now, I will do my best, obviously, right? Because I'm doing a review, it's important. I do it with all my energy. But at the end of the review, I'm drained. So what do I do right after the review? Is there something I can do that energizes me? Now, it may or may not be the perfect thing I should be doing. For example, maybe I get energy out of problem solving. Now, I shouldn't be problem solving on a day-to-day basis at my level. Maybe that's not what I should be doing, or maybe talking to somebody young and getting them excited about some project energizes me, or maybe just listening to a podcast, like this morning I was listening to a podcast, I like, I get energized out of listening to random stuff. So I have, I listened to random podcasts. So today I was listening to a random podcast, which has nothing to do with what my day to day life is. Why do so many people, you know, why do so many shootings happen in innocent police stops in the U.S.? I was kind of listening to the whole study and trying to understand what is the theory behind why a lot of people are shot. And, and these traffic stops become so dangerous for both the policeman and the unarmed motorist. So it, now you may ask, what has that got to do with anything in life? You know, I, listening to a podcast and how to negotiate your way if you are taken hostage, you know, you know, relaxes me. Now, why would I want to listen to that? I have no clue. Maybe I will use it in some talk. Maybe it is just entertains me intellectually, right? I, I love watching, you know, stuff like that, right? So this is an example. So now one of the things I could do is I have this really important, critical,
3: boring review.
1: I will do but I know I will be drained. I'll follow it up by listening to some talk or making a story presentation on something which is not that critical, but energizes me. So in some ways, your schedule of life is a constant energy, Think just like a phone, right? Like your phone battery, imagine it's coming down to 30%. What do you do? You start charging it, right? You don't wait for it to go down to 10 if it's at 10, what do you do? You switch off your mobile and you stop talking. Your friend calls you will say, call me back. My mobile is running out. So you won't embark on a long drive at 10% to see what happens, right? With your full internet on and YouTube playing. You will stop, you will start consuming. So you've got to watch how you feel. You may be de-energized at the end of the day. You just know how to stop. You would say enough, I mean, I can't do anything more. You know, you, you, so I think it's that observing what you feel. Observing what you feel and, and stopping when you have no more energy left, the battery is down, is important. Um, and now, this applies on a day, it applies on a week. Like, I recently went on a digital diet, like four days, you know, more than I actually went to Undemans. My family had a lot of fun doing scuba diving and all. I was just chilling, reading some rubbish book and just lying idle. But one thing I did is I shut down all my devices. So that completely energized me. Now, somebody could ask me why do you need to go to Andaman and read this book? You know, that's because my family is enjoying themselves and I'll feel less guilty just lying in the hotel room. But that energized me. So you just need to know this about yourself and you can have balance inner. And this is stuff like, like to give you an example. My wife gets like energy out of cleaning stuff. So whenever she's super depressed or super upset with me, she'll start cleaning stuff. Right now, I have the reverse. If I have to clean something, it just de stresses me completely. So so it's, it, is, it is each unto themselves, right? I mean, whatever energizes you, you got to mix it with whatever stresses you out. And life is full of both. And you can't just have exciting, I mean, unless you're a Naren, you know, you can't have exciting stuff 24 hours mm-hmm. the day. Naren is the only one everything energizes him. I don't think anything de-energizes Naren. But, you know, we can't live life like Naren. <laughs>
3: Let me just comment on that. It, it, it was not like this all this time. It, I, I also was 40, 48 years old one day. And I, also, I was also 30 years old one day. No, no, I, of just, course. I just happened to... Uh, no, no, but I'm sure intuitively Naren did that. Uh,
1: you know, of balancing out the positive, the negative, the unavoidable, recharging yourself. You've got to just... You know, everybody's battery is different. Like every model phone is different. Everybody's battery life is different. So you've got to figure that out. The important thing is to watch yourself. I think the point, Rajeshri, is just is, is watch your energy. Don't watch your time. Don't watch your schedule. Don't watch the work. Watch your energy. Because if it's going down, you better find a way to charge it up.
3: Yeah.
1: And don't feel guilty about it. Like I don't feel guilty about listening to some rubbish podcast. How much ever I get stares from my family, because that energizes me. And yeah. the way I think about it is that, you know, like they may say, why on earth shouldn't listen to this podcast now? is that so important because <laughs>
3: that's what energizes me. Yeah.
1: Otherwise I'm going to be like exhausted for that.
3: If, if you're going to ask a question, can you raise your hand so I know how many questions are coming up? So that it, and if you, so then I, I have several questions I can ask, but uh, I, I can always ask Sridhar later on. Asa, um, you just, just uh,
0: mentioned about at Stable, about compliments. Kuma. Yeah, yeah.
1: So actually it's a nonprofit organization that I'm trying to build. The simple objective that I think we, uh, you know, as you know, as, as Indians for sure, invest considerable time and energy, you know, making our children go through the education system. We somehow believe that whether it works or not, it's an insurance policy we need to have for our children, right? Um, and we will. And I'm the same. I don't do anything different with my children. Now, given that that's while that's going on. I feel that even planting a few seeds of problem solving, planting a few seeds of experimentation, planting a few seeds of topics like data analytics, or application of physics, you don't need to like excel it. You don't need to overturn the education system. Just a few seeds that are planted go a long way. I wish I had at the early, earlier stage in my life re- realized the value of building things with your own hands, experimenting, solving real-life problems, I think everything you study suddenly has more meaning. I just think that sometimes our textbook education is very drab. So that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to work with schools to incorporate that. Even if it's one one session a week, let children build stuff. Let them solve real world problems. So a few people who are passionate about it, we go to schools and try to incorporate that into the curriculum. In some cases, it's applying data science and analytics to solve problems. Other cases it's about build your own project using physics. I'm very passionate about physics. Uh, and you know how do you kind of see physics in real life? And how do you build stuff in physics is what I'm trying to do. Nothing very fancy, nothing very visionary. It is just give those few experiences to children in Indian schools without disturbing the school model. because The school model is parents, teachers, educators, children, be very constrained and working very hard and doing their best instead of overturning it why not add to it yeah that's what i'm trying to do very small way i mean barely able to do it well in five to six schools hopefully someday we'll do it for more and more schools but doing as much as we can of course the pandemic has not made it easy but hopefully next year we'll be able to do a lot more of that
3: right uh let me let me read um shruti's question and then jatin you ask uh, Shruti writes, uh, sir, you mentioned about acquiring different magical rings, like studying in IIT. It also eventually became a trap for you. Did you mean that your self identity is lost during this process? How to make oneself realize their potential instead of associating with an institution? Yeah,
1: no, I think what I meant by that is that sometimes you know, uh, you know, all of these rings that we find, you know, a title, a degree, a college, a brand, or a company or a space, you know, all these are, you know, while make us very powerful temporarily, can also become our identity. And we may forget that we are, you know, first of all, that particular thing, we may overrating it because society always overrates some things at a particular point of time and underrates it. Eventually. So, you know, as they say, right, show me a hero. He'll either die early or live long enough to turn into a villain. So, that's for all cool topics as well. So, I think there's sometimes these things don't last. They are not permanent, right? The second thing is that you also start, you know, um, having to give you an example, right? Like, just I give you my own I reason I picked IIT. I think IITs are cool. I'm, I'm glad that we have the IITs and all of that. And, you know, but, but at the end of the day, You know, just because you're from an IIT doesn't guarantee you that you can solve every problem in the world and you'll continue to see success. You know, there's one exam you did well, maybe another 250 exams you survived. It just is a chance thing that you could do it. Maybe some other privileges allowed you to get in. Maybe you're good, maybe you're not. But life has many more dimensions than how you do well in exams, which is one aspect of what that means. Then you associate, now you start associating yourself with many other things because that ring has those powers, then you forget that life throws many more challenges at you. So that's my point, that you want to be, the ring is powerful, you want to wield it, but you can also, the, the ring will start wielding you very soon.
3: So okay. that's what I meant. Yeah. All right, so so now, now now that everybody's energized to ask questions, I'm going to ask you to ask short questions. And uh, Shreedal, quick answers, because we want quick to finish quickly, because I know you have to finish it. The top yeah, in the five time. minutes. Okay. Quick questions, quick answers. Jatin, Jatin, Jatin.
2: Mine would be a one-word, yeah. Mine would be a one-word answer. I just oh, want to know okay. who is your role. If it if there are
3: Lincoln. Okay, you have to ask why also, no, not just I, I do, I
2: do want to ask, but ask. I know it, it won't be a short answer.
1: <laughs> so, <laughs> so many. Uh, yeah. So Lincoln for many reasons. First and foremost, you know, he was he was depressed all his life clinically depressed all his life uh, in, in pursuit of trying to do something great. And it tells you that, you know, first of all, there is, is nothing to be ashamed if you go through a period of depression. Everybody does. So I, I admire that, that, that feeling of, of, of being depressed and, 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 and you can make something out of it. That's number one. Second thing is that I think Lincoln also, um, uh, you know, was never too ahead of his time on any topic but not to behind. So you just kind of don't get too ahead of yourself. He also, I think, um, um, uh, um, uh, I would say, you know, uh, I don't know if you know this, but when he became the president, his cabinet was all the people who were his rivals. It's called Team of Rivals, a very famous book.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Also tells you that sometimes having your critics next to you, people who compliment you, question you, challenge you, actually makes you better. Yeah. For many other reasons. He also uses humor a lot. Uh, and is one person, if I could get a time machine and go back, I really want to see him in person. Um, and, and for so many reasons, I admire him as an individual. I mean, of course, I don't understand all the politics and the leadership angle of it. But it is a person I'm very fascinated by, Lincoln. so I study him a
3: lot. Great. Avni? Oh, um, Avni, yeah, um, you're on mute. Reshma, Reshma. Reshma.
0: Yeah, your daughter. this is Mistakenly, my daughter's name went. <laughs> so... Hello, sir. I am Rishma and I am pursuing PhD at uh, Tata Memorial Hospital at And uh, my question is like, sir, nowadays there are advertisements on on educating school-level children on coding. So is it a necessary subject at such a small age? And what are your views on it? And as a parent, how should we look to it?
1: It's very common. I'll try to answer quickly. I think there's a difference between coding and programming mindset okay i think if the purpose is to develop a programming mindset it's very very powerful because once you're a programmer everything about how you think about life reuse modularity design iteration your whole mindset changes like a mathematician or a researcher a programmer mindset you know is very powerful mindset coding i think is overrated you know you can coding is overrated so, if it is
3: programming mindset, very powerful. If it's coding, overrated. Okay, uh, maybe one or one last question because I know he, uh, he.
2: Okay, if there's no one, I'll just follow up on the question I asked. Okay. Um, so, I just want to know like, my, the intention of asking you who is a role model was because I want to ask uh, do, you, do you admire or do you try to imbibe your role models? What I, I
1: was, uh, um, I think Lincoln is kind of like a fascinating creature to study, but actually I, uh, you know, have every, everybody I work with, I, I try to learn from. Actually, one of the things I have learned is that everybody, every human being, you know, successful, unsuccessful, reporting to you, you are reporting to or your peer has something unique that you can actually study and learn from, actually you should look for that because human beings are so complex, so many dimensions. You'll never find anybody who's good at everything. So I think the way I would probably think of it as, it's like trying to find you know, uh, those characteristics in humans and that's more fascinating. Um, but I think trying to imitate somebody or, or look up to somebody is also slavery. You want to be careful about that. It's another form of slavery to look up to somebody.
3: Yeah. thank you thank you for that all right so so thank you so much Shridhar, for for coming in uh, and talking to us i'm going to ask you to come back on another day to talk to us about your other topic that we'll talk in much more detail so thank you i'm going to stop recording here
0: a network should last a lifetime let us help you create lasting professional relationships with our world-class mentors through the Biopatrika Industry Mentorship Program, a strategic guidance program unlike no other, full of expert interviews, industry internship opportunities, CV writing, inflection point analysis, life maps, and of course, the gateway to your dream career. For a limited time only, all our services are freely available for you as we truly want you to succeed.